0: Welcome to Buddha's house. I kind of feel like the maid at the door. Um, Welcoming everybody. I guess I've been told that there are probably over 200 invitations that were sent out. And you showed up. (laughs) Uh, So... um, Welcome to Buddha's house. And we're creating, uh, there's no furniture in Buddha's house. It's just our energy. So we're creating a Buddha field to, to be in just for a few hours. And after reading, reciting the 14 precepts for engaged Buddhism, I thought, there's the Dharma talk know uh, I really don't have to say anything more about it uh you know there is a <clears throat> There is a sequence of basically sixteen precepts that we use in lay ordination, priest ordination, and transmission, and they go from very general um, taking the three receiving three refuges and then <laughs> The three pure precepts, which are basically, um, don't do any harm, be good, and save all beings. And then the ten um, pure mind precepts, which are a little more specific. Don't kill, don't steal, don't lie, don't dwell in anger, etc., etc. And now these engaged Buddhist precepts are even more specific. So they get more and more specific as we go along, as our lives become more and more specific. And and we might say that uh, after the 14 engaged Buddhist precepts, they're your precepts, your particular life. And that's a little bit of what we're going, I want to talk a little bit about today. Having these engaged precepts, uh, these are about going forth from here into your, into your daily life, into your ordinary lives, to your extraordinary, ordinary lives. <clears throat> and s- some people have this notion that Buddhist practice is a way of withdrawing from life being in in a little blissful bubble uh, and being apart from the world. But quite the contrary, and particularly our tradition, the Mahayana tradition and the Soto Zen tradition, is actually a path into the world. It's not at all about withdrawing being separate. It's about how we live our lives. In, in the world, as it is, sometimes it's called the dusty world or the saha world, the world of um, the eight worldly wins. Win and loss, praise and blame, uh, good and bad, all the dualities that we live in. So it's, it's a way into that world. It's a way to live in that world. And we practice here, and then we get up, as I was talking about last week. We get up, and this, I want to repeat what Buddha told his disciples, his first disciples. Go forth for the good of the many, not of, uh, out of compassion for the world, for the welfare, the good, and the happiness of gods and men. Let no two of you go in the same direction. Teach the Dharma, which is beautiful in the beginning, beautiful in the middle, and beautiful in the end. Proclaim both the letter and the spirit of the holy life completely fulfilled, and perfectly pure. So I want to focus today on Buddha's admonition, no two of you go in the same direction. Not even that that's possible. It's probably not possible. But we tend to think that there is a path, and there is a truth, and there is a reality that we all have to follow. And Buddha is suggesting that no two of us can go in the same direction. And I want to add to that, that no one of us can go in the same direction. That is, when you get up from your cushion and you go out into the world, you are going in many directions, right? There is no one direction to your life. I leave here, I take off my rock suit and put on my work pants, and I'm a gardener, you know, or I'm a cook, or I'm a wife or a husband. I have a professional life. I have a social life. I have a private life. I have many I have a psychological life, I have a spiritual life. I have a parental life, a family life. we, we radiate out in all directions, so we there is no one direction to our lives and I I was actually, it came to me while I was sitting today um, that once this happens, once we rise out of our practice place, we move from our practice to the art of living. We move from a practice to an art. This is something very clear. We have a form. We have our forms. We know how to practice. We sit still. <laughs> we follow, maybe follow our breath, or if we're doing Shikantaza, we, we just stay available and open. It's pretty clear to sit down and sh- shut up and be still and stop for a while. So we can practice that. It's a pretty straightforward practice. And that's wonderful, that we can come here and we know exactly what to do. But once we get out of here, Pandora's box. We studied that in, in uh, book study this, this Thursday. Nothing is clear. <laughs> there, there are no rules governing what we should be doing. So it becomes an art, the art of living. And I just before I came to the Zendo, it occurred to me to look up how many books or essays there were on the Zen of, and it's like the Zen of motorcycle maintenance. <laughs> <laughs> right. This is especially for Alexi. He has a really spiffy motorcycle. <laughs> um, had the zen of archery. The zen and the art of archery. The zen and the art of living. The zen and the art of tennis. The zen of the art... I think there was one that... The zen, of the, zen and the art of faking it. Uh, there's an incredible number of the zen and the art of... And that's where, that's where the art, the, the, the creativity, the spontaneity, the availability of your life comes into play. So this is practice. And then when you become a pair, when you leave here and s- start moving in all kinds of different directions in your life, I'm this and I'm... I'm a psychotherapist, and I'm a partner, and I'm a friend. and This is where the art of Zen comes in, because there are no rules there. You, 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 you gotta pre- be you, you've got to be present. You've got to be creative. Uh, you're working with a mystery. You don't really know what's going <laughs> to come up. Pretty much in this space, we pretty no- much mo- know what, what's going to happen. Very clear. But life is not like that. So there's the art. Ultimately, in our practice, in our in our art, <laughs> I think of our Zen practice as the art of becoming human. And this is an art that very few of us actually have learned. <laughs> um, I, I. Um, been recently considering my age and the fact that I think I've learned something over the course of 80 years, years—a uh, something about what it might mean to be human. And just when I've discovered that, I'm going to lose it. <laughs> you know, I almost feel as if I'm at the beginning of my life and also at the end of it. Just when I'm getting good at this being human thing, uh, bye. (laughs) I'm on my way out of being human. So um, it's really very, and I'm thinking of Pablo Casals, who um, was a very great cellist, internationally famous, And at 92 years old, he was in an interview, and do you know this story? I I may have, uh, I tell stories every now and then, over and over, Um, and he was asked, you know, if he practices, because he's already so accomplished, and he says, yes, I practice every day. Is why, why do you practice? You've already achieved great fame and, and skill. He said, well, I'm, I'm now beginning to see a little improvement. <laughs> yeah, After 92 years, I kind of feel the same way. Um, another example of this is um, uh, if, if you're making maple syrup... It takes 40 gallons of sap to make one gallon of syrup, right? Mm-hmm. It's kind of like that in Zen. It takes 40 years of practice to make one second of awareness of presence, knowing how to pause. Um, so, this is truly a life, a lifetime of of this path. This path goes on for a lifetime. So this is this is ultimately a direction that we share. We share the direction of becoming human, becoming fully human. And what the heck does that mean? What does it mean to become a human being? Because the trees know how to be trees; <laughs> they just are. You know, your cats clearly—they know how to be cats and dogs. They don't—they don't cogitate about it. They don't worry about it. Um, they just are fully who what they are. And you can, we can say that about a lot of things. The, the daffodil is just purely a daffodil. It's just right to its very edges. What, what does it mean <coughs> for us to be fully human? What, is, what does that mean? <clears throat> and um, I, I think each of us has a sense That we have something to do here as humans. Um, I'm not going to call it a job, maybe it's a calling, a vocation, that somehow we know that we're here as a human being. This is really strange. You know, this, if you actually consider this, this being, we're very odd compared to everything else that exists. <laughs> um, not only in our bodies, but in our psyches, in, in our in the way we we are in the world, what we think about, what we feel, what we sense. Um, it's uh, if you really kind of get some space from this being. It's very odd. And what, what does it mean to be a human being? But we, we have this sense that, that we're here for something, that there's something we need to be, to do. And it's not just something relative to us personally, but somehow we have a relationship to the world That we need to pay attention to, that we need to discover, maybe. That in some way we have a responsibility. That we're not here just to lie around and not in some way contribute, to offer something, to 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 contribute in some way to this world, <clears throat> not just for us, but for all, for the whole world, that we have a relationship there, <clears throat> that maybe other beings don't have, that we have a, a a calling beyond ourselves, because we are always in relationship. There's never a moment when we're not. Perhaps what we're called to do, to be, is fully who we are, fully who we are, both as a human being and as a particular human being. This is from one of my favorite poets, uh, Rilke, why then? have to be human, oh, not because happiness exists, nor out of curiosity, but because being here means so much, because everything here vanishing so quickly seems to need us and strangely keeps calling to us. To have been here once, completely, even if only once, to have been at one with the earth, this is beyond undoing. We are here, and we seem to be needed here. We seem to have something to do here. We seem to have something that is ours to do. What do we do with this precious life? What is it that's ours to do? Precepts, precepts, and then me. What is my genius? What is my gift? What am I called on to do? And if we think about the image of Indra's web, where we each have a little node in this web, we're a little jewel, and we reflect all the other jewels in the web. There's no direction in that web. A web doesn't really have a direction. And so we just kind of radiate out in many directions, as you know your life does. And so what is it that we need to do in all these directions? What is it our... We definitely have a place in the web. There's no question about that. We have a place, but that place is to reflect other things, other beings, in our way, in our specific way. So there's this wonderful intersection between having a direction outward and also... Pulling all of our different relationships into our particular style, our particular way of being, our particular gift, so that we can do all of these things in a way that is deeply and completely, genuinely you. To be honest, to be giving. So another image that you might think about is that you have each of us has an absolutely irreplaceable place in the circle of life if we just take one tiny little dot out of that circle it's completely different that that's you If you take one little jewel out of the web, the web falls apart. You are needed. We are needed, each one of us. As Rilke says, there's something about the world that needs us. But what is it? To find that, to discover that. When my daughter was... In elementary school, you have to take up an instrument. And she took up the flute. And she got really good at the flute. And as she grew up and she approached uh, puberty, she decided, nah, I don't want to play the flute anymore. When she was young, and I asked her why she why she chose the flute, and she said, because she she liked the image of herself playing the flute. <laughs> then she lost that image. You know, she just that now she wanted to play the guitar. That was much more in keeping with being a teenager, not not, not the flute. But she really didn't want to play music at all. She didn't want to play an instrument at all. And she said, I'm giving it up. And I said, Amy, no, you can't. It's not up to you. You have been given something. You have been given a gift. You can bring music into the world. And not many people can do that. And so it's not a matter of your personal choice. And we made her continue with the flute. And now she's, she can play probably six or seven instruments, is in a number of bands. And she says, Mom, I'm so glad you didn't let me quit because this is something I can do. This is something I'm good at that I can offer the world. And so there's that, there's that calling that sometimes you don't even recognize, that somebody else can see, like when Colleen sang here during um, our 20th anniversary, she just regarded that as, oh, no big deal. It was, right? What a gift. Well, each one of you, each one of us has something like that to offer. Generally speaking, our practice here, what does it bring into the world? It brings many things. But one thing I want to emphasize today And I talked about that a little bit when I spoke about spending 40 years practicing and having a nanosecond of awareness uh, out of that. One of the, I think, underrated virtues of this practice, of what it helps bring into the world, is patience. It's one of the paramitas, and it's one that isn't often emphasized, but I think it is a profoundly important practice. And if we're practicing anything on this cushion, it's patience. I'm remembering Brad speaking after Ashvashin and offering his honest, uh, his, uh, his honest uh, experience of sitting and feeling, I want to scream, let me out of here. I can't tell you how many times I feel that way. Let me out of here. I cannot stand another second of this. And yet, You hold your seat. You know this is patience. You settle down, and all kinds of things can be affecting you: restlessness, boredom, uh, doubt, all the the hindrances, uh, aversion. I hate this. What am I doing here? Um, All kinds of things come up, and yet you continue to sit. It's patience. And what does this patience offer us in life? A pause, when we get up from this cushion, and we are confronted, assaulted, <laughs> irritated, pushed around by the world, by the winds. Take a moment. Take a breathe patience it's like the pause the pause that refreshes is that a mm. an advertisement for pepsi cola or something <laughs> <laughs> the pause that refreshes that is that's a really important aspect of our of our practice that we can bring that pause that moment of the avoidance of reactivity. Push. Gah, i got to, you know. Something's coming up and boom. I want to get out of here. I want to punch that person. I want to, you know, I want to do all kinds of other, you know, things. Just breathe. Just take a breath. Three conscious <coughs> breaths, maybe. Just wait a minute. Stop for a second and just perhaps try to get clear. So this ability to stop is something we take out into the world. And it's a teaching that we can offer other people of non-reactivity, of just pausing, being quiet and perhaps getting clear as to what is going on here. And also to discover what's going on with you instead of getting back into habit energy, back into reactivity, back into old ways of reacting to the world. So, What happens in the pause is not just a kind of empty blankness but it permits us to carry with us a sense of wonder, curiosity, and openness in this pause. What's going on here? Curious. Wow, what's going on here? This is amazing. It's a way, it's a direction. It's a a direction that we can bring with us into all the other directions that we have in our lives. The direction of, of pausing, of stopping for a while, and on the, back of my <clears throat> on the back of my black rock suit, my teacher wrote, inscribed, the following words, which it took me quite a while to actually come to deeply understand. And these words were return, accord, respond. Return, accord, respond. Return to this place. Return to being quiet. Return to being still. Return to settling. Return, come back, come back to this moment. Accord, it's like focusing a camera. Accord, focus, get get clear. Adjust your lens (laughs) so you're in accord with reality. See what's there. So get still, quiet. Take some time to focus, to get clear, accord with what is, and then respond. Then, then maybe you can have what in Zen we call appropriate response. Appropriate response. Sometimes you hear this constantly in this refrain. What is Zen? Appropriate response otherwise known as skillful means. How to respond. So when you're out there, here we know how to respond. We've got the rules. But out there, mm, you've got to develop the appropriate response based on the specific circumstances that you're in. So our practice is about engaging in the world, going forth, going forth from here in all the directions of your life. Return, accord, respond.